Welcome to the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. This is Trevor. Uh, Paul, I, I I did not prepare for a, a good introduction for you today. Can can I get a pass? You got I, a pass. I, all right. No I problem. still am going to put together a big full list of things to say just to really have fun with that. Yeah. Now, uh, so, each week that it doesn't happen, it gives me a little more time to get ready for it. So. <laughs> I guess I guess maybe this is the new introduction. Me saying hello, everyone, and then and then really just whiffing and, and <laughs> not doing a good job introducing you whatsoever. That's all right. It starts us with a low-pressure environment, so I'm all there for it. There we go. And our listeners' expectations are way low now. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy Thanksgiving, Paul. Yeah, you too, Trevor. We are recording this not on Thanksgiving, but it is being released to the wider world on Thanksgiving Day in the in the United States. And I love this time of year. I love the Thanksgiving holiday. I love uh, everything about it, <laughs> honestly. And what what are your thoughts on on Thanksgiving and on this the the kind of the holiday season? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think. Over the years, as I've gotten older, I think Thanksgiving has risen in my estimation. Like, I think mm-hmm. I always liked it, but I think when you're a kid, you know, it's kind of one of those. It's not Halloween. It's not Christmas. You're not getting tons of candy or tons of presents. So mm-hmm. when you're a kid, maybe it's not quite as exciting. But then the older you get, you start to value, you know, mashed potatoes and pie maybe a little <laughs> bit over uh, some of the other stuff. No, but I mean, I, I do love it. It's just a quiet kind of family it's peaceful mm-hmm. like we've talked about with with autumn and fall it's kind of one of those transitional periods where you're not quite into the craziness of you know december yet so yeah i'm with you i, I really like it and the holidays in general are definitely i know a lot of people have grown to be kind of negative about them but i still really love them i i get a lot of joy out of this time of year um i grew up in a family where we had big gatherings of, and they were crazy and there was cousins <laughs> everywhere and you know, uh-huh. all that stuff. But to me, it's just, there's something, it, it kind of marks the passage of time in a very good way and kind of gives you those little periods each year that kind of, you know, like we'll talk about more probably in this episode and future episodes, just time for reflection and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. How about you? So Thanksgiving, it's, it's not my favorite holiday, but it's right up there because in a way it's like Christmas morning it's the beginning of the holiday mm-hmm. season for me, and it's a really nice, peaceful beginning to the holiday season. And I do, I love to cook. Um, one of my big hobbies is is cooking, and been doing that for for decades. And so, being able to to take a day where that's kind of my focus is getting a Thanksgiving dinner put together mm-hmm. is really fun for me. I really enjoy putting together the list just getting the shopping done, starting things a day or two before and really looking forward to it. It's over too fast. You know, you sit down right. and all of a sudden, oh, did we already finish? What? <laughs> exactly. 24 <laughs> hours of work for that. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's just nice. And if you're fortunate enough to have the Friday after off as well, mm-hmm. which a lot of people are, and I am, then it's just a wonderful long, like it's the only time of year that you kind of have two days off from the office and where other people aren't working either. So yeah. you don't have to pay for it when you get back. Right. No, that's a good point. I assume yeah. you're hitting the malls for Black Friday and, oh, and stocking up on the latest electronics. And Yeah, never, never. Not me either. <laughs> do you have right. a, a Thanksgiving dish that's kind of like your specialty or anything? Or do you do pretty traditional? Or how Pretty do you... traditional. Uh, but I do, I love working on the turkey. 
I just, mm-hmm. I, I love a good moist turkey. Yeah. And so that's the thing that I put most of my focus on. Um, and then I am very traditional, you know, good mashed potatoes, mm-hmm. use the gravy from the drippings, things like that. We'll put together some pies that my wife uh, loves to cook. Maybe she doesn't, but I, I put that on her because right. she makes such good pies. <laughs> um, you know, rolls, cranberry, a, a really good homemade cranberry sauce. I don't really love the stuff that comes in a can, uh, but making it from scratch man, that stuff is, is good. I love it on ice cream afterwards. You know, I love it on Thanksgiving with it, with everything else on the plate. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just a fun time. I love it's yeah. It's more of a restful holiday for me. I definitely am with you where, you know, when I was a kid, I think I enjoyed it fine, but now I'm like, Oh, this is what holidays should be like. I know. Make some food and then sleep. <laughs> exactly. That's what every holiday should be. I agree. Yeah. You get some books when you're, when you can, um, when you can keep your eyes open. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you make it through the Turkey coma. Yeah, exactly. But it's also so much fun because it isn't over, you know, Christmas is, is still just a special time of year for us and it goes over so fast. It's all of a sudden January. I know. Thanksgiving still, everything's looking forward to, to the end of the year. It's that's what I mean by kind of like Christmas morning, not so much in the excitement and like, Oh, the kids are running downstairs. It's more, it's the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a good beginning, and and there's a lot of fun uh, to be had over the next uh, month and a half, and and it's quieter um, in some ways, and extremely busy in others because of the end of the year stuff, and everyone seem, you know, all my kids seem to have Christmas programs, but but I do enjoy, I do enjoy it. But we're here, I mean, not to just talk about Thanksgiving and the holiday season. We're here to talk about holiday reading, and in particular, our plans for the holidays. You said in one of our very first episodes that you were kind of holding Don Quixote out as your book you might read over Christmas or over the holidays. And I think that that inspired me to be like, I want to know, I want to think about that a little bit for me. I I liked our um, our fall reading episode an awful lot. I've done pretty good on my my list of things I wanted to read. And we've still got a little bit of time for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I thought, I want to pick out a book or two that uh, I've been wanting to read that I will make it this season. I will make it a special holiday reading thing. It doesn't have to be Christmassy or, or wintry or anything like that. Uh, I mean, Don Quixote, I don't I don't think it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. No. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And... Um, but I did want to start with a little bit of a conversation about holiday reading. Is there a particular thing you gravitate towards or a particular feeling? Um, is there is this something you look forward to every year as a reading time and you make plans uh, well in advance that you want, you look forward to uh, fulfilling? Or does it just kind of come and go? Uh, and maybe it's a little bit of both. But um, I'm just kind of curious what... What to you is a holiday reading? Because this is time, you know, as a kid, it was a big reading time. I'd get books for Christmas and right. uh, really enjoyed the, the holidays for being able to sit down and, and have time that no one was going to say, hey, you need to do this, that, or the other. It was it was the holidays, you know, yeah, you, get to, exactly. you get to sit down for a little while and read. And so it is special, but I'll admit that over the years, I've been more like, oh, it's over already, and I didn't 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 focus on any plans with the reading. I'll read, but I didn't 
plan anything. And I, I'm more excited about it this year because of this thought of planning for it. Yeah, no, good. I'm glad. And I'm with you. I think it's easy to idealize kind of holiday reading. And like in this perfect world, you're sitting in front of the fire with a leather bound book, you know, and all that stuff. And I would love it. I would love to make that happen more often. But I think the reality <laughs> for me is more, we've talked before about those perfect times to read a book, you know, and it's in a cabin for a month where you're isolated and everything. And this isn't that. But to your point about work is often slower. You know, you have plenty of other obligations, but often, you know, there's a little bit of a window where you can have some time, whether it's preceding the actual holidays or sometimes it's in that little gap between, say, Christmas and New Year's or different times like that where there's just a little bit more open space. And so I think for me, that's kind of what I enjoy is just, you know, you're not slammed at work and and there's just these little windows that you can kind of steal some time. So I don't necessarily plan specific books like this every year. But I will say that, you know, I've talked a lot about how big books and classics call to me a lot, you know, throughout different years, but especially this time of year, I feel like right or wrong, I kind of picture this as a time where you're going to get some more uninterrupted time. And that's often a good time to, to dive into some of those either really big books or some of those classics. And sometimes both, you know, if you have a Dickens or a Trollope, on your list to me this is kind of that time of year mm-hmm. where it might be the perfect time it's kind of don't cozy spoil, and... don't spoil my list Paul. oh sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah exactly so i mean that would be my general thoughts is is there's the idealized version which maybe i always kind of strive for but never quite reach but then there's the reality which is still pretty great of just those those extra windows of time that you kind of take advantage of mm-hmm. well we'll get into that here in just a minute uh, it's been a f- fun introduction a fun warm-up Mm-hmm. But I'm curious about what you have been reading leading up to this point. What have you been reading, Paul? Yeah. So usually I've been in the habit lately of kind of limiting myself to maybe one book and one audiobook at a time. I've kind of been in one of those cycles. But right now I'm actually reading a couple more. So I am listening to the new Lauren Groff, Matrix, Oh, uh-huh. which I believe you, I don't know if you read it. I or, haven't or... started it yet. Oh, okay. I've been kind of saving it. I don't know for what. How yeah. are you liking it? I like it a lot so far. Um, I decided to do the audio just because I wanted to get to it sooner rather than later. And I'm fully anticipating then coming back and revisiting it, you know, the old, the old fashioned way later. <laughs> but yeah, so far it's really good. It's as always, her writing is, is stellar. Um, I'm not necessarily a historical fiction guy, just in my everyday reading. It's not something that I, I seek out, but as always, she is doing something with that, but there is... I'm I'm only partway through, so I'm reluctant to say too much because I don't know where it's going to go. But I feel like there's more going on. Um, a partway through the book, some things start to happen where it's very fascinating, and I don't know where it's going to lead. But yeah, as always, top-notch stuff from her. Um, I'm also reading a book called A Shock by Keith Ridgway, which is another fairly new one. Keith Ridgway, I think maybe John Self might have mm-hmm. um, gotten that's, that's, him. That on was my, my, my introduction mm-hmm. was from John. Was it Hawthorne and Child? Yeah. Yeah, oh, that book. I, I've read it now maybe three times, Hawthorne and Child, and it's just one of those books that fascinates me, and I just find my mind returning to it because it's so odd and well done. And that, so far, is how I would describe a shock. It's these series of short stories, but there are connections between them. But it has that same, I don't even know how to describe the quality of, of what he did in Hawthorne and Child, but just an oddness that is very fascinating and very pleasing to me. I really enjoy it. So I'm working on that. And then the last one that I'm reading is a nonfiction by 
Rebecca Solnit, and it's called Wanderlust, A History of Walking. And man, I am loving this book so far. It's um, People probably are familiar with her. She has some pretty well-known books, A Field Guide to Getting Lost, The Far Away Nearby, and then maybe one of her most famous is probably Men Explain Things to Me, which <laughs> I didn't realize. I, I guess she might be credited with coining the term mansplaining. Oh, really? In okay. that book, which I didn't realize. But this one is is not quite like that. It's um, drawing together a lot of different histories around walking, just the, the actual act of walking. So there's an anatomical look at the evolution and why humans might have adapted to walk the way we do. There's se- uh, sections on city design. She goes into like historical walking clubs or some of the outdoor clubs who have fought to preserve land. Um, so it's really interesting. And she basically is arguing that the history of walking, you know, is about pleasure but it also has these political and social hmm. um, forces behind it as well. So she talks about, you know, Wordsworth and Gary Snyder, and she gets into like even Jane Austen, like Elizabeth Bennett, how she would go on walks and, and things like that. So it's really fascinating. I thought I would just read a couple of real short passages just to give you a, a quick taste of it. So there's one section where she says, if there is a history of walking, then it too has come to a place where the road falls off a place where there is no public space and the landscape is being paved over, where leisure is shrinking and being crushed under the anxiety to produce, where bodies are not in the world, but only indoors in cars and buildings. An apotheosis of speed makes those bodies seem anachronistic or feeble. In this context, walking is a subversive detour, the scenic route through a half-abandoned landscape of ideas and experiences. And then I'll just do one more real quick one here. Um, She says, a lone walker is both present and detached from the world around, more than an audience, but less than a participant. Walking assuages or legitimizes this alienation. One is mildly disconnected because one is walking, not because one is incapable of connecting. So she just drops these little, to me, they're just these beautiful little gems and and these insights into the middle of these bigger conversations. So I think one of the reasons it's appealed to me right now is, is just in the COVID time, you know, the last couple of years especially during lockdown, I've been walking a lot more. Just we, We're lucky enough to have some nice trails around our neighborhood, and I've been taking advantage of those sometimes on a Friday, just go for a couple hours and just start wandering. And so I think that the timing of it has been nice for me, but it also just points out a lot of, of what I'm really valuing about walking is a chance to get away from email and this feeling like you always have to produce and be productive. You know, it's just you're just going to go wander around and just know where you go. So anyway, it's, it's really good. I would, I would definitely recommend it to anybody who that sounds appealing to. Well, while you're, while you're on the topic of walking, I saw that you just recently read the Tanners by Robert mm-hmm. Valser. Mm-hmm. Did that get you kind of hooked on him just a little bit? You, I, I feel like that's a little bit different from many of his books where there's a lot of walking, but I also seem to remember a lot of walking and wandering in that book. Yeah, is that... no, you're right. Yeah, no, there definitely is. Um, yeah, I loved it. I really did. I The snippets that you had read on previous episodes and the little bits I knew about Valser, I was um, already, you know, halfway to sold. And so after <laughs> you talked about him in that episode a, a little while back, I was like, okay, this is the time to go for it. Yeah, it absolutely did. I loved it. It had lots of the wandering and walking that the characters do. And as you know, having read it, that's sometimes a connecting point between these two or three different characters where it'll just kind of drop you in and out of different 
characters' lives, but there'll be that connection of them wandering up into the mountains to see the other one at this cabin or, or whatever. But yeah, um, it made me only want to dig in and, and read some more of his stuff very soon. Well, so I'm going to show you, here's my edition of oh. Robert Valser's The Walk, mm-hmm. which is on the back. Here's the first thing. A philosophical stroll through town and countryside. It just seems right, Paul. That it sounds seems perfect. like it's the time. And then I think that's a, the one you recommended to me mm-hmm. when we were talking about Valser. Yeah, I need to get yeah. that one. And then another one that's really good. Both of these are put out by New Directions. This one's by Carl Selig, who was with Valser when he was in the sanatorium, and they would go on walks. And so this book is called Walks with Valser. It's for, whenever anyone talks about walks, you know, I think of Patrick Lee Fermer mm-hmm. and Robert Robert bleh, Robert Valser. <laughs> no, it's funny because I I had the same thought with Patrick Lee Fermer, and I actually looked in the, in the little index at the back of of this Rebecca Solnit book because I was kind of hoping and, and expecting maybe that she would mention him, but unfortunately she doesn't. Hmm. And I don't know that she mentions Valser either, but she talks a lot about Wordsworth, Wordsworth in particular. And I guess mm-hmm. walking was a big part of his creative process. But yeah, no, I, I definitely need to pick up both of those because there's just something about that. I'm glad you mentioned Firmer because I was thinking about him a lot while I've been reading this. Is just, I really need to go back and revisit those because it captures the philosophical part of things, but also it it's a way for them to talk to different people and drift in and out of mm-hmm. lives. Like she's saying in that passage, like you're not necessarily an active participant, but it's because you're choosing to. So you'll walk through this town and you'll look around and you'll see these little snippets of people's lives and you can engage if you want to, or you can just kind of observe and make your way through and nobody thinks anything of it. And then you move on and you, you know, walk by a stream or, you know, whatever. So I don't know. It's very fascinating stuff. Yeah, and it's awesome that there are some great writers who are able to take what could be a very mundane, thoughtless kind of thing and and explore why it's not. And yeah, definitely, definitely. I saw that you were reading that, and I think you posted it on my Instagram question or something like that, mm-hmm. and thought that looks really good. I want to read it that is. one. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't read her before, I don't know if you have, but she has one of those minds that is just fascinating to me. Where just what you described just now is. She's able to take these subjects or these kind of sometimes ambiguous ideas and create such fascinating studies on them. I, I don't know. The way her mind works is is very fascinating to me. So, yeah, definitely should check it out. Well, I'll share with you what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday, I got this book in the mail, Generations, a memoir mm. by Lucille Clifton. This is from NYRP Classics. Uh we have to make sure we mention them on every episode. Exactly. <laughs> Keep the tradition going. Not because of anything they've said to us, but just because, you know, they remain uh, very influential in my reading. I mean, this showed mm-hmm. up yesterday and I already started digging in and, and it's very short. And I don't even know if it quite reaches 100 pages. Yeah, 87 pages of uh, Lucille Clifton. Um, here's a picture of her writing about her ancestors what she can she's descendant from slaves it's very poetic it's very um i don't know there there's something special about this it isn't just okay here's what's going on here slaves um she's putting humanity into into some people that she herself maybe barely knows um it's been taken away from them She's talking in the very first section um, 
about, I think it's her father. I'm still trying to get things straightened. Sometimes she's not talking in her own voice. But it says, they call her Colleen, Daddy would tell us. What her African name was, I never heard her say. I asked her one time to tell me, and she just shook her head. But it'll be forgot, I hollered at her. It'll be forgot. She just smiled at me and said, don't you worry, mister. Don't you worry. So they don't know her, her African name. But I like that sense of don't you worry as well. Um, not because it's like, oh, that makes everything okay. There's just something about about it. There's a depth to that that comes out just in that line. But this is really good. There's a lot of, um, not a lot, but pictures that introduce every one of the little sections. And so I would, I, I definitely recommend it. I did not know about this book until NYRB Classics announced it, but it's pretty influential. It came out in the 70s. Okay. And they have quotes from like Tony, Tony Morrison and um, on the back. So talking about how it was very influential to her and just uh, looks like one of those that, you know, they always release good books. This one looks maybe particularly yeah. <laughs> important. Oh. It as, sounds like it. I so. it, that one I think might be one of their book club selections yeah. think, for November. So mm-hmm. it may be in the mail on its way to me, and I hope it is. That sounds really good. Yeah, it is their it is their November uh, book club selection. So uh, if you're you know maybe our winner will get it this month. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. We yeah, don't know who was... that is yet when we're recording this. No, we're we don't. I can't wait to find person. out. <laughs> Very. Yeah, and I I don't know. I don't think I've mentioned this yet, but my wife was kind enough for my birthday to renew my yearly subscription. So I'm thrilled because I had a, a year, I took a year off and missed getting those packages in the mail very much. So I'm looking forward to it. And it sounds like that'll be a great one to kick off my new, my new round. You didn't have to show up in, uh, in your uh, fake mustache. And, no, and, I didn't. She must've like wanted to spare me the embarrassment of trying to get in on that. <laughs> she, she saw you preparing and was like, I exactly. got I gotta save my, my husband. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Save his dignity, whatever's left of it. Uh, the other thing I'm doing, I am listening to a book too, kind of like you are, and I'm listening to Andy Weir's Project Hail Mary. Have you heard of that one yet? I have. It's his new one, right? My yeah. my eldest son, I told him he should check out The Martian because I just had a feeling he would love it, and he did. And so mm-hmm. he actually moved immediately onto that one, and he has high things to say about it so far. Did, he, fi- did it? he finish it? Um, I haven't checked in with him in the last day or so, but I, I don't believe so. I think he's mm-hmm. well into it, but not quite done. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm really enjoying it. There is something. I, I really liked... I didn't read The Martian until after I'd seen the movie with Matt Damon and I really enjoyed the movie. I thought the tone was fun, but still, you know, had some seriousness to it. I had maybe a little bit of harder time with the book. It's mm-hmm. a little bit flippant for me. Mm-hmm. I get that it's deliberate, or at least I thought it was deliberate. Now reading Project Hail Mary or listening to it and the same tone is there. I'm like, oh, this is maybe not so deliberate, but just default. Yeah. Um, but I am really enjoying it still. I, I like the, I like the deep space story that that's going on and I'm enjoying the, the reading, you know, I, I bought the book and then everyone told me, no, you got to listen to this one. And I'm like, well, I just bought the book. I want to <laughs> buy the audiobook too. But I finally did because there's like, um, there's some things in it that just work really well on audio and I'm glad that I am listening to it on audio, but yeah, it's been fun. I'm, I'm probably, probably have a third left maybe. Okay. And 
kind of hope that I can finish it sometime over the weekend. I don't know if I'll have that much time, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Not, not necessarily even for science fiction, not my cup of tea. I like, I like stuff a little bit more dreadful. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> a and little I- more. I guess I like, I like my science fiction to be a little more uh, existential and a little more, um, a little darker than, than these have tended to be. But at the same time, I realize that's very much just a me thing. I think these are fun and I really like his problem solving um, narratives. Yeah, I think it definitely appeals. I had, I had read or heard somewhere that it definitely appeals to, especially the Martian. I think a lot of the engineering mind maybe because he's very precise and in my opinion, sometimes he bordered into the little bit, like I didn't really need like 30 pages on like <laughs> potatoes and like gritting out the, you know, the field or whatever it was. But, you know, I mean, like, I don't know that it's my cup of tea, like you said, necessarily, or at least all of it. But at the, at the end of the day, he does have some very good, you know, the, the plot's good and, and he has these really good frame stories, you mm-hmm. know, like, and, and yeah. the problem solving and, and <clears throat> kind of stranding him out there, you know, a little bit. I think it appeals to like, especially my son, maybe it's kind of like, you know, that, that book hatchet or some of those where it's like, you're stranded, you're surviving, you're figuring out these things on your own. You know, I don't know if that's how the new one was, but for the Martian, it, 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 it very much is. He wakes Mm up uh, after, you know, you find out very soon and it's pretty clear, uh, an induced coma on a spaceship. And he has no idea where he's at, why he's there. Cause he's basically got brain damage from Mm. the coma. And, he's just by himself and he has to figure out not only what, why am I here, but how will I save, you know, how how will I, how will I resolve the problems that sent me here, you know, on this project, this project Hail Mary. Um, (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's fun. Okay. Um, People looking for something kind of light and, and fun over, over the holidays. That's a good, a good pick. I think I've got more light, light picks over the holidays coming up uh, okay. as we talk about that. So yeah, that's something I was just about to mention, but we can save it. Cause I think there's different ways to approach holiday reading. Well, and, and let's, let's look at this. Let's look at holiday memory reading. So for me, one of my favorite things as a kid and especially as a teenager was to maybe get a new Calvin and Hobbes comic book mm. and be able to just sit down maybe with a bowl of popcorn and read that comic book for a while. I loved getting, um, you know, the, the new like Harry Potter book or something like that. That that's a little bit afterwards, but I still remember reading those over the holidays in, in my twenties as as we went on. And, but I tended to get something kind of light and fun like that to read. And so, yeah, some of my books today are going to be an attempt to maybe recapture a little bit of that. Uh, But there's definitely also the sense of the luxuriating, you know, looking back on Rachel Eisendrath's reading a good, a great boring book, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and having that time finally to, to experience it is something I'm also looking forward to. And that's, that's kind of it. I mean, my grandma was a big reader and she used to buy herself a book and then figure out which of her grandkids she could give it to for Christmas. Oh, <laughs> that was kind of her way of doing cool. it. I like that. It was a lot of fun. And so I got weird books from her that I never would have picked up otherwise. I just always enjoyed uh, sitting down and reading those. But I was thinking about it as we go into this. In a weird way, the holidays are almost more of a movie watching time for me. 
Mm-hmm. I a lot of fun movies to go with your to to with your family come out at this time of year. I think that's why I think of things like the Lord of the Rings. I'm like, oh, I got to read a fantasy this year, right? But it's probably just because the Lord of the Rings came out over Christmas, you know, 20 years ago now, um, three Christmases in a row, and that was a fun thing to go and see with my friends. Um, yeah, we we went to the the theater several times, you know, over those those holiday seasons to see the same movie over and over again. And those were big ones. Um, for a while, you know, the Harry Potter ones came out in November. And so there is something about that that just rings holiday spirit to me, even yeah. though I don't think it's quite like if I dug in there, I'd be, you know, not not exactly what I'm looking for necessarily. But there is something about that magical feeling. And I but I also even even as an adult now this is the time of year when I can go downstairs in the middle of the night when everyone else is asleep and watch something like Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder. Mm-hmm. Um, just be able to put it on. It's dark everywhere. And I will. I, I do that several times over the holidays. I'll either stay up really late or I'll get up at four or five in the morning to go and watch something that I'm interested in that nobody else is. Yeah. And so it's also been a time of year to get into some more darker uh, you know again last year it was a lot of Bong Joon-ho mm-hmm. and in particular I remember watching Memories of Murder really late at night and just being kind of kind of frightened but also it felt like Christmas <laughs> yeah well I was it gonna was say there's that relaxing. whole history of of ghost stories and everything so it's not like you were way off base with the whole Christmas and spookiness <laughs> yeah I think that idea of, of stolen moments of time like you just described mm-hmm. is, is one thing that I would definitely say you know, you just have that opportunity. You don't have to necessarily get up for work in the morning. So maybe you stay up later or get up early. And I would agree with you too about, you know, I know Lord of the Rings comes up a lot in these, but as far as looking back on holiday memories, for me, both reading them and and yeah, watching those movies, both in the theater. And then even once they were out on DVD, I remember sometimes, sometime maybe between Christmas and New Year's, we would do like a marathon (laughs) and just watch all three in one day or something. The latest release of the movies came out I know you got it for Black Friday or Cyber exactly. Monday, and <laughs> exactly, and just kind of sit there and just watch all three in a row and just kind of veg out and, or you know, even I'm not a huge C.S. Lewis fan, I have to admit, but like another memory I have that's pretty strong is just especially the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's so many wonderful mm. winter scenes and the mm-hmm. Turkish delight that comes up in that. When I was a kid, I was just I'd never had Turkish delight. I don't think I ever have to this day. Oh really? Sounded, Come on! I know well, we got to do we got to fix that. I make it. <laughs> Oh yeah? yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. So yeah, I mean that just, I remember like very specific, you know, those sensory memories or those word memories that have such a strong influence on you when you're young. Some of those around winter and Christmas, definitely with, with Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe in particular and the Hobbit and some of those, like you said, that magical thing. And then, and Harry Potter definitely did. There's some wonderful in the Harry Potter books, there's some wonderful Christmas scenes where they wake up and they're, mm-hmm. you know, at the foot of their bed is all the presents and they're digging through them and eating all the chocolate frogs and all that stuff. I mean, that's just fun <laughs> stuff. I like it. It's so weird that Harry Potter feels like a holiday book when it's usually, you know, maybe a chapter mm-hmm. and not even in every book, but it, it really does just, uh, there's something about that. Um, so Turkish delight, we, we, we do need to, we do need to have you try it. A lot of people yeah. absolutely uh, hate the stuff. And when we went to um, to England, I went with a with a college group, and everybody wants to try it because of the right. line, the witch in the wardrobe. And I'll bet most people just hated it if you got it off the street. You know the rose flavored ones, 
you got to get the real like the you, you don't want to get just the candy bar version you know so yeah uh, i would recommend trying it from a real one and don't just try the rose one i mean that's the maybe maybe it's the traditional one but mm. there's like pistachio and and there's a lot that are really good okay no that's good to know it's kind of fun you've inspired but, me I, I do want to try it like i said it's only been what 40 some years that i've been <laughs> dreaming about it without ever actually going for it so i'll have to see if it can survive a package in the mail <laughs> so that'll oh. that would be a fun christmas surprise be. for you that would be amazing <laughs> no I'll, pressure I'll, at I'll all at that. Otherwise, oh yeah, I, I get a... you um but that kind of reminded me so when i went to england last it was over you know it was over the fall semester and so we were leading up to christmas and London is another place that just seems to have a lot of Christmassy spirit. I'm thinking of even the the movie Love Actually, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the skating rink up in that building. I just love that. We would go there just to see it. Um, Whiteley's that was just down the, the way from us. I think it's gone now, but that had the big Christmas tree and was fun to go, you know, shopping in and seeing everything in. Um, it just feels like a festive place. The, the UK does Christmas in a way that I really like. I like that on Christmas day, they have a bunch of, you know, Christmas specials of their television shows like Dr. Who. Mm-hmm. And they're as cheesy as you can get, but there is something fun about saying, Oh, it's time for time for that. Now there's, I don't know that, that I, if I had thought about that, I might've even come up with a really British book <laughs> to right. read over, over the holiday time. Um, but anyway, some of some of my little little thoughts. Anything else, or should we get to our list? I think we should get to our list, and and I have a few other things I might kind of bring up during that conversation. But I think we might as well just dive in. Sounds good. Well, what what's one that's on your projection then? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll kind of skip over because I Don Quixote is top of my list. I mean, I was going to start it in November this year, and then our our buddy Kim McNeil. Uh, Pressured me very kindly to join her Levant trilogy reading group, um, which I'm more than happy to do because, as I mentioned on that previous episode, when I read the the previous trilogy with her reading group, I, it was a great experience. Yeah, so I'm the really Bal- the Balkan to the trilogy. Balkan Olivia Manning for for listeners who oh, are yeah. wondering. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I'm going to dive into that in November, which I'm really looking forward to the Levant trilogy. Um, but then, yeah, I'm going to get to Don Quixote. It is just really that. I think I've been talking about it ever since we started recording these and and it's finally time. I'm going to make it happen. I'm actually really excited for it. So I'm going to do that one, but I do continuing your, your good slash bad influence on me. (laughs) The warden has, has jumped right up to the very top of my list. It just sounds like a perfect thing to read this time of year. Um, Like you said, it has a lot of the elements of, you know, it's, it's not a Dickens and, and I know that those, they're very different authors, but it has that same, at least in my mind, maybe I'll be wrong, but it sounds like it has kind of that same spirit to it, which is just perfect for this time of year. So those are two classics that I have very high on my list right now. Well, with the warden, now I already mentioned Timothy West. I know I couldn't mm. remember his whole name. It's Timothy West. Okay. <laughs> in that episode, yeah, I think Timothy you had w. Di- Timothy W. Yeah. <laughs> I got a message from Sean, the book maniac yesterday on Twitter saying that we should also consider David Shaw Parker as a reader of Trollope. And I did go on to read um, or to listen to a a few samples of his, and I could recommend it too. Now, the Timothy West versions, most of them are free on Audible. So there's definitely weight in that area. Plus, I I thought it was just absolutely marvelous. Uh, But 
David Shaw Parker, um, Sean is right. That's also a, a place to look for a great reading. It might even be worth a rereading in both of them or something like that, just to have fun with, with that narration. But at, at any rate, I, I definitely, I wanted to, to call Sean out for that because he inspired one of my choices, which is Anthony Trollope's <laughs> Getting Back to It. Uh, Can You Forgive Her? So I just started the Chronicles of Barchester. I, I again, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't know if it's the Barchester Chronicles or what, but um, I apologize to any listeners who are cringing because of how I, which way I'm saying it. But this one, the Can You Forgive Her, is the first book in the Palliser series, the six novels of the Palliser series, and I thought, well, I can jump into that one too, and it looks really good. And here's here's something Sean said. Um. I would definitely say it's my favorite trollop of the ones I've read and the only one that contains a scene that got me all verklempt. Oh. <laughs> so that sounds Christmassy. That does. I like <laughs> but, that. So that one is one on my list. Sorry to jump in. I, I'll let you get oh. back two years, but since we're talking all trollop, uh, Can You Forgive Her by Anthony Trollope is also on my list. Perfect. Yeah. So the next one that I was thinking of, again, your influence is, is growing. Um, a gallery of clouds is in the mail mm. on its way to me. And just what you described or what you mentioned earlier in this episode, that whole idea of, I don't remember how she phrases it, but the whole idea of reading those long, mm. relaxing slash maybe a little boring books. When you read that passage, it just, ever since then, I've known this is a book for me. So I think some of those meandering kind of, you know, a book, a book like that, that just kind of wins its way along and, and moves off in different directions, which is the impression I get just sounds like a really nice, you know, pick it up, put it down or else maybe read it all in one big sitting, you know, but anyway, that sounded really appealing to me. So I, once that one arrives, which I think it's supposed to get here early this week, um, that's, that's going to move right to the top of my holiday pile. Oh, I did. I love that book that I could reread that one over the holidays and it would feel wonderful. I read it in the spring feels like a spring book because of that, but it also, I, I can definitely see it as a, one of those really fun holiday reads. Mm-hmm. I may have to try that one. Yeah. It's short enough, and I've been wanting to reread it uh, for, for a while now. I skimmed it when I met with Sean, speaking of Sean, <laughs> on his yeah. on his uh, YouTube channel. I, I showed up. I was a booktuber uh, uh, debut. <laughs> on I saw that. You did great. I, I Watching that, actually, I was already... <laughs> wanting to, to read this book, but then watching you talk about it again, I was like, okay, I got to do yeah. it. Yeah, it was really fun to talk to him about that, but I had only basically re-skimmed it um, in preparation for that, and I would like to re-revisit it. And uh, I do reread, as I've done several times, both for this podcast and for that, <laughs> that YouTube uh, video, that particular passage, because it's just so, so fun. Yeah. And so, uh, fun's the wrong word. It, it is fun, but it it just rings true. It, it strikes a chord with me that I, I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, do so, you want me to go on a couple more or do you want to trade off? I'm fine either way. Well, let me give you another one of mine since you're Perfect. talking, you, you talked about reading your, your long Don Quixote mm-hmm. and then this long, boring book, you know, with the uh, Rachel Eisendrath's gallery of clouds. So let me tell you one. And, and also you're talking about influence a couple of years ago, you told me, that my next uh, Charles Dickens should be David Copperfield. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast already. And I thought David Copperfield was maybe 300 
400 <laughs> pages. So I said, okay, Paul, I'll go buy it today. Well, I stuck with the first part of my promise. I went and bought it. But I remember actually like sending you a t- picture on Twitter, like, what is this book? This is huge. I thought yes, he only wrote like 10 gigantic books. I didn't know this was among them. Clearly, I, I you know, way out of my, my depths with my knowledge of uh, Dickens because I've never even read it. But um, I do have it. And that's the that's the Dickens I'm going to do over the holidays. Uh, and I've been planning that probably since you first said you're going to read Don Quixote. I thought, oh, I know what I'm going to do, too. Mm-hmm. over the holidays and it'll be david copperfield you know it's uh, your mom's favorite book i think you said it is yeah. yeah and one of my very favorites i mean i could not think of a more perfect holiday book i i don't want to oversell it i'm sure i already have but um, <laughs> uh, i'll be like what is this garbage <laughs> exactly <laughs> dickens who is this guy no i it's uh i just love it it's wonderful it's got everything that you would want from dickens which you know stereotype or not he he is a perfect christmas holiday kind of read an author and it's got the fun characters and it's got you know just everything everything to have Christmassy scenes I mean even I just finished Great Expectations which I wouldn't say is super Christmassy but it does have that great Christmas scene in there with them with that Christmas dinner and all of that yeah it's a good question I don't know actually I in my mind it does but that does not necessarily (laughs) hold truth because it's been years a few years since I read it You'll have to report back. I'll, t- I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can, if I pick it out. It's hard to imagine he doesn't because I know that he, you know, he would release these serially and at Christmas time, he often found a way to make it Christmas in his book. So his readers were reading, you know, a, it's like the Christmas special. And yeah, so, exactly. Uh, <clears throat> but I, I will report back and, and, and let you know, but I am, I am really looking forward to it because my read of great expectations was really nice, really, um, just took me back in, helped me kind of shake some of my uh, self-inflicted demons uh, when it mm-hmm. comes to Dickens. Yeah. Um, and so I'm looking forward to to David Copperfield this year. Yeah, I think it'll be great. And you said it's big, but I mean, it is a man's life, Trevor. I mean, it's going to be a, uh, a big way. <laughs> no, it really does start from like the, mor- the moment he was born and, and goes yeah. through the whole thing. So, you know. Well, that's lo- good. I mean, yeah. I read. I've read Big Dickens. I've read. Isn't his biggest? Um, is it our mutual friend? friend or Bleak House? Maybe Bleak House. But I have yeah. read. I have read our mutual friend, mm-hmm. and I have Bleak House. I think it was the same thing. I went and bought it, and was like, "Oh, well, to put this yeah. on the shelf. Hope it doesn't break it." You know, exactly. <laughs> now he he was not. Uh, yeah, he he was he was more than willing to to write wordy books, as we've discussed, but. Like I said, when you're in the right mood, that's exactly what mm-hmm. you want from him anyway. So, yeah. If you, you can, can read, you can sit down and read a hundred pages in one setting and you're excited because you're not basically done with the book. Mm-hmm. You've got more trips like that. You can really get in, invested. I, I'm definitely on board with things like that. I mean, Middlemarch is one of my favorite reading experiences ever and mm-hmm. best books ever, mainly because part of it was I, I just knew I was going to be able to be with these people for a lot longer than normal. Exactly. No, that's another one I need to reread, but yeah, well, I'm excited. That one makes me very happy. I'm, I hope you like it. I'm sure you I, will. I'm sure I will. Yeah. So if not, I, I will, uh, hold will me. Personally. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Pres- preserve the friendship. No, <laughs> no pressure at all. I, I do think you'll like it, but you know, I know that Dickens, um, can be divisive or, or maybe not divisive, but 
some people really like him and some don't. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that you already do have that relationship with him, I think you will like it. But yeah, I'll be curious to hear what you think. Um, so when we were looking at our books about books discussion, you know, when, when I was looking at my shelf and trying to figure out which ones to talk about, there was one on there that I have not yet read that I think would be a perfect one to read this mm. time of year. And it's called Time Was Soft There, A Paris Sojourn at Shakespeare and Company. And I don't know a ton about it, really, but I just know that it's a book about books, which to me, again, during the peaceful times of year, like the holidays, that does appeal to me. Um, I can just read a little bit from the blurb. It says, wandering through Paris's left bank one day, poor and unemployed, Canadian reporter Jeremy Mercer ducked into a little bookstore called Shakespeare and Company. Mercer bought a book and the staff invited him up for tea. Within weeks, he was living above the store, working for the proprietor, George Whitman, patron saint of the city's down-and-out writers, and immersing himself in the love affairs and low-down watering holes of the shop's makeshift staff. Time Was Soft There is the story of a journey down a literary rabbit hole in the shadow of Notre Dame to a place where a hidden bohemia still thrives. So, you know, to me, that just sounds like one that might be nice to kind of maybe while I'm reading some of these bigger books or some of these more in-depth books, just might be a nice one to dip in and out of a little bit. Yeah, that title is definitely seductive. Mm-hmm. Makes you want to go and read it. Yeah. That sounds that sounds really good. Dang, I, I, I didn't think of any books about books. I really enjoyed that episode and thinking about that and want to read more of those than I, than I usually do. And I saw you and Simon Thomas tweeting back and forth some more recommendations the other day mm-hmm. and I'm like writing them all down and <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I want to get, I want to get to some of those. Me too. Uh, Maybe but... some stuff to add to your, to your holiday wish list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good idea. Actually. I've got, I do have a pretty big holiday wish list of books already, which is stupid. I mean, I do <laughs> not necessarily need them, but this year I, I decided that there are several um, NYRB classics that I, that were early, early releases that I don't have yet. Uh, one of them is Olivia Manning's School for Love. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I really want to get this. Eustace and Hilda by, oh, shoot, the name's, the name's escaping me. Is that, um, that's not Hartley, is it? Yes, L.P. Hartley. Yeah. Um, that's one that I want, speaking of big books. I just have never, never bought them. And now I don't see them in stores anymore. Right. And, and so I need to get them. And so I put things like that on my wish list. But yeah, you're right. Some of these books about books would be a great accompaniment. Yeah. And that kind of luxury of just sitting down and, and reading that stuff over over the holidays sounds perfect. It does. And it may be too late by the time people listen to this, but there's a lot of great sales going on right now. Yeah. So I know I'm not always very subtle with my wife, but like, for example, right now, I think uh, Harvard Bookstore is mm-hmm. having their warehouse sale. And so I'm like sending her links and like circling like (laughs) this would be a good Christmas book. It's only six bucks or, you know, and, and I know like Archipelago and others have some great winter or holiday sales. Yeah. The library of America library. Yeah. Um, And that Harvard book sale, I did get on there. I was very good though. I only bought one book and it was Cassandra at the wedding because they didn't, they had, I had a thing. I had like 17 books in my cart and I thought, no, I'm going to get the one that I'm going to read next. Not, yeah. not all 17 of these. And well, so I know I Backlisted just did that, that episode on. That's why. Yep. Yeah. And I, it's an NYRB classic that I, I've never picked up yet. And so I, that I, I, I grabbed that one. Yeah. You're smart. I, I have a feeling that one might disappear pretty quickly. I had circled that one and sent it to my wife as a potential holiday gift, but I have a feeling just 
given the popularity of backlisted among uh-huh. our little circle, d- depending on how limited <clears throat> their selection was at that warehouse sale, it might disappear. It might be gone. Yeah. yeah. I do have my shipping notification, so ah, I feel, in. I feel pretty good about it. Good. <laughs> we shall see. Yeah, We shall see. Well, I don't remember that was yours. You were just talking. So I'll give you another mm-hmm. one of mine. I've got two more kind of okay. things that I want to want to talk about. One is a fantasy. Um, nice. It's Catherine Addison's The Goblin Emperor. Mm-hmm. Came out in 2014, I want to say. Um, I picked it up for my birthday this year. And um, Dorian, let's name check as many people as on Twitter, our Twitter, <laughs> um, you know, close friends as we can. Uh, right. Dorian um, said that he really loved The Goblin Emperor. I believe I'm pretty sure on that. And I have heard really good things about it. Um, there's a podcast called the Cood street podcast, which um, have you seen these really lovely um, library of America box sets of American science fiction, ones from the fifties and ones from the sixties. I think I have seen those. Yeah. Oh, I, I love them. And uh, the editor is Gary K. Wolf. He, he's one of the guys on the Cood street podcast talks, talk science fiction Um, sometimes a little bit of fantasy but they mentioned the goblin emperor and like you say dorian said that that it was a really good a really good one so i picked it up and that's that's going to be my fantasy book over over the holidays this year i don't know much about it um i've read the blurb about a kid that's a goblin and supposed to be king or something like that i uh, i know but but i don't really think that that's like what pulls me in you know, that yeah. doesn't sound uh, like something I'd be like, oh, I definitely want to read that. It's from all of the great uh, things I've heard from people that I think look at things a lot more closely and go, there's a lot of fun, good stuff going on here. Yeah. That sounds like a fun one. And, and and I just looked it up. I mean, it received the Locus Award for Best Fantasy Novel, and it was nominated for the Nebula, Hugo, and World Fantasy Awards. So it comes highly touted that way, too. Uh-huh. And she just came out with like a sequel, I think, this year. Um, which I haven't heard much about at all. I don't know if it needed a sequel. I've never heard anyone say it was going to get one. So it may mm-hmm. be a standalone that she just added to. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now that sounds really good. And the cover, I'm, I'm at least the cover I'm seeing right now online is really cool. It has like a, a goblin-ish head peeking up from the bottom. And then it's wearing like a crown that almost looks like a city on top of its head. Yeah, so that's the really, one I have. Um, it's just, and it's just a little trade paperback. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'll it'll fit in my pocket as you know as we go go places over the holidays. <laughs> nice. It's always good to have one of those that you can take along with you mm-hmm. when you're waiting in line. Or different things like that. Uh, I do. I do love that. I used to not be able to do that with my books, but lately with the trade paperbacks, man, I love having one of those handy mm-hmm. and being able to pull it out. It's been fun. Yeah, that is nice. I have one more that I was going to kind of save this because I think not to give a spoiler, but I think we might do a books we're looking forward to next year kind of episode uh-huh. eventually. And I'll probably repeat myself, but I need to revisit Shakespeare. It's been way too long. And I was. Is he coming out with a new book next year? Yeah, I think he is. Yeah. <laughs> new Shakespeare drops in 2022. <laughs> no, but it's just been, I have that giant Norton, you know, hardback that I've had since college uh-huh. and it's falling apart and all beaten up and but i just i was thinking that would be a perfect thing to read this time of year um and even just looking ahead into next year for just an ongoing project and in a the best sense of the world not as an obligation but just something that would be you know it's it's 
like we said, around this time of year, you start to kind of think ahead of like plans and, and fun things you can do to kind of keep your reading momentum going. And it's just been way too long. And, and obviously he comes up all the time, you know, uh-huh. and so it's just one of those, you keep seeing it when you're reading other books and it's like, okay, the universe is telling me it's time. So I think I'm just, I don't necessarily have a plan. I know some people have different ways of approaching if you want to go through and read all of Shakespeare, like here's different plans or fun ways you can do it. And I don't know if I will follow one of those or if I'll just be serendipitous and just kind of dip in and out and choose things. But I just thought that might be kind of fun. So I might try to kick that off. Yeah. I like it. You you know, I, and this is not for you, but for listeners, I, I attempted to start a Shakespeare podcast. um, That's been a decade ago now. And man, I loved doing that. It got mm-hmm. overwhelming because I was really trying to make it like pretty, not definitive in all scholarship, but definitive in in a, in a look at so many different aspects of his life, of the yeah. world of Elizabethan England and of the plays. And I would still love to start that up again sometime and, and, and do that, uh, yeah. it, you know, for real. But it, it's just tough. So I'm big fan of Shakespeare mm-hmm. and... Yeah, keep me posted because I think it would be fun to uh, periodically um, talk about that. I may jump in and read one of them again with That'd you. That'd be great. Yeah, that would be that would be a lot of fun. We could maybe twenty twenty two can be a, a an informal uh, Shakespearean year for the Mooks and the Gripes podcast too. I don't know, and no yeah. promises or no. That would be wonderful. We don't want to be we don't want to be locked into something that turns out to not provide the joy we're looking for. Mm-hmm. But um, but that sounds like something that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. So, Just real quickly, did you ever read the Peter Aykroyd um, biography of mm-hmm. Shakespeare? Or okay, because yeah. that's another one. When I picked up that Shirley Jackson at the library for a couple bucks, the Peter Aykroyd was sitting there too, so I grabbed it. Um, I may mix that in, or I may not next year. But yeah, the, every one of those is really tough because there are all these scholars who are like, "This is a really good one," and all these scholars are saying, "This is a bunch of baloney." I know, and, and that's what I wasn't sure. But I I liked the Peter Aykroyd one. I really like Stephen Greenblatt's Will in the World, How Shakespeare Became Shakespeare. Mm. Very much, you, you can see that it's, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's not uh, certain, any of these mm-hmm. things that people are saying um, in these, but I really like the, the attention to detail and the ways that they've extrapolated from plays and from this, the culture and from what we don't have a uh, little bit about Shakespeare and, and who he was and 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 all of that there it's just such a it's such a good mystery you know who mm-hmm. how did he become Shakespeare um I'm not going to get into it but uh you know I, I am definitely a, a Stratfordian yeah <laughs> I am not one who thinks that Shakespeare was written by um any number of other people I I think that the the evidence that I've seen and I'm not going to be super definitive because I just don't want to get into it these some of these people have already emailed me and tweeted me and I do not want to respond. No. I've blocked several of them. Um, <laughs> and so I don't want to get into it, but, but these books are take that, that tact of okay. strap, you know, the man from Stratford and, and becoming Shakespeare and really, yeah, there's some, there's some good, some good stuff out there that that's fun to read. So that's another one that I might recommend you pick up if you're making it a, a, a big project for, for okay. the year. Oh, that's great. I appreciate that. All right. 
Do you know which one you want to start with, though? I mean, I know you said you don't have a plan necessarily, but if you got a few, maybe even a few that you're like, that's one I've I want to get to sooner than the others. So of the of the list I've said today, which ones? Yeah, I mean, no, 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 no. Oh. Of your Shakespeare. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know actually. I I've been leaving it pretty open. Honestly, I don't. I'm I'm kind of going into it fairly. It it's only been over the last week or so that I've kind of percolated about this. So. I plan on kind of spending some time just having fun with it and just gotcha. figuring out if I want to do a plan. But yeah, I, I would be open to recommendations from you or anyone else. All right. Well, that, like I say, we'll we'll carry this on. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for my last holiday read, um, I contacted Francis uh, Evangelista um, in the on Twitter because every year. I see all of these books coming out that are great Christmas crime novels. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever read one. I think Christmas has happened in a book or two of crime that I've read, but these are like, this is like an industry, you know, this mm-hmm. is not just uh, Oh, this book happened. People write Christmas crime and it comes out, you know, dozens and dozens, probably maybe even more than that. <laughs> maybe dozens, the wrong factor, probably. Uh, but, but it's a, it's a big thing. And I see Francis putting her, you know, some of these up on, on Twitter over the years. So I asked her, I said, Hey, I'm curious, what would you recommend? Well, I got a wealth of recommendations from oh, her. Cool. And so I thought, well, I can't make this my, the thing I'm going to do. I would just make this a little segment really fast, kind of an informal segment of our, our podcast here, Christmas crime. And I'll just talk about the ones that she, she mentions. Um, I still, I think the one that I might go with is her first one that she recommended. It's not like she, I don't know if she put them in any kind of order, but it's an English murder by Cyril Hare. It just seems to strike where I like. Here's what it says. It's a, um, you know, classic, it, it combines classical golden age murder mystery, a group of guests snowed in, uh, in a snowed in country house. That sounds Great, kind of like a mousetrap, you know, and and Agatha Christie, um, with the realities of post-war Britain. Uh, Came out in 1951, so that one I think looks looks like a great uh, a great place to go for a a nice English uh, Christmas murder mystery. Um, She also recommended uh, Mystery in White, a Christmas crime uh, story by J. Jefferson Fargen. I don't know how to say his last name. Um, but J. Jefferson Fargin, and that's similar. Except for it's a you've maybe even seen the the um, the picture of that the cover. It shows oh, a train snowed I think in. I have. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of Murder on the Orient Express, uh, of course. But uh, but that's another one that she recommended that I've been interested in just because of the cover. Um, she recommended the Big Book of Christmas Mysteries, a bunch of uh, short stories. <laughs> Might be a good place to start. Uh-huh. She recommended Death Comes at Christmas by Gladys Mitchell. Um, she says weird and wonderful with an odd cackling detective. Mm-hmm. And then she sent me, she just finally just sent me a picture <laughs> of, of a bunch of books. Some of those are there. She has The Dead of Winter by Nicola Upson. Uh, Murder Most Festive, Festive by uh, Ada Moncrief. Uh, Brian Flynn's the the murders near Mapleton. There's the Penguin Book of Christmas Stories. I don't. It doesn't sound like it's specifically crime, but it's in this picture. Uh, Death comes at Christmas. I already mentioned Murder for Christmas. Mm. Uh, you know, by by uh, uh, Francis Duncan. Um, the Christmas Egg. I mean, th- again, there's there's several here. 
Uh, maybe I'll have to post that on, if she'll allow me, post that yeah. on, on Twitter so that people can look at it. And then she says one that she's looking forward to is The Case of the Abominable Snowman by Nicholas Blake, which is a pen name for Cecil Day-Lewis you know, oh. of, of, of that family, um, who apparently began writing The Strange Ways Mysteries because he needed cash. Uh, (laughs) and so he's got this one the case of the abominable snowman and then she said um, the other one she's going for is the um, inspector mccray from uh simenon uh Mm -hmm. mccray christmas is also on her pile this year so a lot of really good stuff there and again thanks francis not a not an industry or and i say industry not not a not a thing i've really ever looked into uh for or rather have been able to to fulfill my desire to look into it. I've wanted to, uh, because it just seems like a fun tradition. Christmas time, let's get my next Christmas mystery book um, and pull it off the shelf and get and dig in. Uh, I think that that sounds like fun. And so I may try and start up that tradition this year. Yeah, I agree. I've never gotten into either the ghost stories around Christmas time or the mystery slash murder, but it always kind of sounds fascinating. And I don't know. There's something it's weird how like cozy and murder can be used in the same <laughs> sentence, but it, it definitely does, does seem, seem like... like a moral failing on our culture. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I mean, having grown up around, you know, my parents, like I mentioned in a previous episode, loved Agatha Christie and, and all those different things. I mean, I, I definitely get the kind of the association of the mystery and the murder with, with kind of a coziness as well. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be curious to kind of, jot down some of those books because i know that she's a trusted resource when it comes to that particular area so yeah for sure for sure in fact i'm curious what she's reading today it's saturday i'm assuming she might have one of her mysteries ready to go mm-hmm. Love that. <laughs> um anyway uh, we can go into some other maybe just slight recommendations there are a lot of great christmas stories we didn't talk about this so it's fine if you're not um like sitting down thinking oh here's the list i pulled up but um the Library of America um, has just released American Christmas stories, and I actually think my copy is arriving today. It, there's a package coming. It's shipped from Random House, which d- distributes for Library of America. Mm-hmm. I know of nothing else that's on its way, so I'm assuming that's what it is. But I, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I got to mention her in this episode. It's got a story by Shirley Jackson. There um, I, there's that on the cover. Uh, Amy Tan, Edna Ferber, Sandra Cisneros, and then you, of course you got Mark Twain and O. Henry. You know, got to mm-hmm. get some of their Christmassy stuff. Jack London, James Thurber, um, Ed McBain, Joan Didion, Langston Hughes, Catherine Ann Porter, Louisa May Alcott, Dorothy Parker, W. E. B. Dubois, and Petrie, uh, Grace Paley, R- Ray Bradbury, John Updike, uh, Jose R. Nieto, uh, Nalo Hopkinson. Uh, Tomas Rivera, Nathan Englander, and many more. It's edited wow. by Connie Willis, who, you know, the science fiction, or at mm-hmm. least um, used to be science fiction, um, right? I think she still does some. I haven't seen one of her books come out for some time, but maybe it's just me missing it. Um, yeah, it looks really fun. It doesn't seem to have one of my favorite um, Christmas stories, and it might be right situation. But have you ever read Truman Capote's A Christmas Memory? No, I haven't. I love that story, and I used to read it every Christmas. It's been a long time since I have, but that's something I might recommend for people as we go out of this. It's, you know, Truman Capote really is complicated personality and a, you know, complicated thoughts on what he did within Cold Blood and things like that. But um, I really like his short stories in particular, probably better than 
anything else that he he wrote. And A Christmas Memory is just one of those that settles in just nice, you know, a little okay. bit. Um, it just, I don't know, it just feels right. It's not doomy and, and glower or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It it's but it's also not sentimental and anything like that so it's one that i might recommend as i'm talking about christmas uh short stories or holiday short stories anyway nice yeah i did have one that um i won't say that i love this collection but it's it's a fun collection of christmas stories that i think it would be worth picking up at the library or if somebody already has it picking it up and it's by jeanette winterson who I love her. You know, she's a great author. And she has a fun little collection called Christmas Days, 12 Stories and 12 Feasts for 12 Days. So the whole idea is read a story and then there's a recipe for each of the 12 days of Christmas. Hmm. Um, and they're just fun. They're they're what you would expect from her. They're quirky and weird, but well-written. Um, just reading a little bit, it says, This collection begins with a brilliant and quick introductory essay on the fusing of pagan and early Christian origins of the nativity scene, the evolution of St. Nicholas into Santa Claus, the customs of Christmas trees, cards, and carols, the Victorian ghost story, and Charles Dickens, and much more. Um, so she starts off with this essay just talking about Christmas as a whole, but then it just gets into all these different, you know, there's like a snow snow person who comes to life, and there's just all these, you know, it's fun and but not all fun. There's it's Jeanette Winterson, so there's some darkness, <laughs> there's some spookiness. It's it's just a good collection. Um, I'll just read a really quick snippet here. It's talking about snow, just all the different types of snow. It says there's mountain snow and polar snow and ski snow and deep snow and snow and flutters like tiny moths and snow and flurries like moths in a hurry and snow and flakes like someone it is grading the sky. And show and snow sharp as insect bites, and snow as soft as lather, and wet snow that doesn't stick, and dry snow that does, and wraps the world like an installation, to the point in the night where you wake up and the sound is gone, to the point in the night where you turn deeper into the bed, to the point in the night where there's snow in your sleep, and your sleep is deep as snow. So, you know, it's just her playful, fun, but also she's an excellent writer. Um, so again, I wouldn't say it's like one of my all-time favorites, but I was just trying to think of some collections of short stories or some good Christmas reading that might be good. So you could just read one a day over the twelve days of Christmas if somebody wanted to do that. Excellent. No, I didn't. I don't didn't know about that one. Yeah. Despite my interest in Jeanette Winterson, I mm-hmm. somehow completely missed that that existed. Yeah, I think <laughs> I just stumbled onto it in the library last year when I was trying to think of like something that I could read, and yeah, it, it's a fun little collection. Awesome. Well, anything else, Paul? Anything else you want to recommend or bring up for our holiday reading episode? Um, I have one quote that I thought we don't have to close with it, but I was looking through (laughs) um, a few different, you know, I came across, like I I mentioned, there's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or another one that I didn't mention, Laura Ingalls Wilder. She has some wonderful Christmas scenes that we read to our kids, you know, where I really like the simplicity. And I think it made a big impact on our kids when they were younger, where they're not necessarily obviously Laura Ingalls Wilder's family is, is not getting piles of playstations and, mm-hmm. you know, all these, they would get like, you know, a, a new doll that was handmade and maybe like a piece of candy and they were just over the moon thrilled with it. So I really like those scenes, but I'm going to go back to our buddy, Charles Dickens for this quote that I love from the Pickwick papers. And it says, happy, happy Christmas that can win us back to the delusions of our childish days that can recall to the old man, the pleasures of his youth that can transport the sailor and the traveler thousands of miles away 
back to his own fireside and his quiet home. And I just love that. It kind of captures everything I like. It's easy to get cynical about this time of year or to get in a big hurry. But I think there's something for just embracing what's good about it and kind of enjoying it. Um, so I, I love that quote. And I think that that kind of sums up what I like about it. Yeah, that is a good quote. And another Dickens I have not read. <laughs> I haven't read that one either, actually. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> I don't feel so, quite so quite so out of it then. <laughs> no, not at all. There's always more to read. I actually think that's a really good way to, to kind of end the episode. Listeners, you know, we're in this time of year between Thanksgiving and Christmas now. I hope you're all having a good one. I know that it's tough, uh, a tough year and a tough time of year in general for, for a lot of people. We just hope that there's some some goodness and some peace that, that can come come your way and your, your way to, to everyone else as well. Listeners, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with an episode I'm really looking forward to. It does, for me, feel like winter with this particular author. We are doing an author focus again. It's episode 15, and we kind of made an informal goal of every episode that ends with a five. We'll, we'll do an author highlight. And so I am excited, Paul, to meet with you and record that episode. And then to listeners, I hope you'll share your thoughts with us about holiday reading plans. Uh, we just released our episode a few weeks ago on bookstores. Uh, before that, we had the Hangs a Man special and our NYRB Classic special, our books about books. Great. You know, I think we've had a lot of fun conversations that I've enjoyed, and I'd love always to welcome your feedback and your thoughts as we go through this. Yeah, I agree. I've I've loved hearing all from our fall book um, discussion that we had or from some of the other ones, the NYRB. We've been getting so many great recommendations or, or different people talking about mm-hmm. what their favorite books are for a time of year or from a certain publisher. So that's one of my favorite things about this. And yeah, please keep sending them in. I love it. Yep, me too. And we'd love to share more of those uh, than, than we have in the past. We'll try and do better on that. But but mm-hmm. thanks so much. We We are having fun. So, Paul, I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, everybody. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can follow Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month helps and is deeply appreciated, you can become a Patreon at patreon.com slash mooks. Until next time, 